It is probably a painting of von Kleist. But why those scratches? Or maybe one of his enemies who couldn't get at the Baron himself let his hatred out in the painting. There's something about his eyes. I'd swear they were following me. He's looking at me. Ava, let's try the incantation again. What for? I must find out what happened last night. But you told me nothing happened. I know I did, but I want to make sure. Oh, Peter, it was at night and spooky and frightening, but today everything seems so unreal. Does it? What if the ghost of Elizabeth Holly is stronger than the centuries? What if it could bring the Baron back? Oh, come on. You don't believe that yourself. It's not likely, but I must find out. What are you thinking? That to come face to face with my ancestor of the 16th century, monster or not, is an experience I wouldn't want to pass up. Listening to They Must Be Destroyed on Sight. The following podcast contains adult language, adult situations, and spoilers for the movies discussed occur often. You've been warned. Now, take it away, Dr. Rausch. They must be destroyed on sight. Welcome. It is They Must Be Destroyed on Site, episode 288. And I'm your host, Lee. Seems authentically old, Russell. <laughs> I need to get a kick, kick at you. I know you'd like that. Um, and you heard her laughing there at my oldness. Uh, she is my lovely co hostess with the mostest, Lee. Gotten into the bad habit of scaring intruders, Hardy. How are you doing? <laughs> That is the plan. If there's an intruder, I want to scare them. <laughs> Better than trying to get into a fight with them. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, we're um, going back to some Bava. Uh, last time we were doing our, hey, we pick an actor from the movie we just did and go into the filmography and pick a movie. It was a Mario Bava film. It was uh, The Whip in the Body. And uh, so now we're on Baron Blood from 1972, and uh, we will get into that into in a few moments here. But um, before that, I'll briefly mention a couple things I watched. I know uh, Lady Lee has nothing right now because she's been <laughs> retardedly busy. I so. yeah, I have I have a life outside of home, which feels really weird. I don't know what this is. How how am I supposed to survive without being in the comforts of my own home? How strange. How, how Who does that? I don't know. You're starting to scare me. I'm sorry. You're being less introverted and weird. And now it's just, I don't know. But uh, yeah, no. Um, it's, it's, just, it's just funny that it happens to be at the time of the year where... Um, where you and I are both similar, where the oppressive heat makes us want to do nothing. <laughs> and all of a sudden, all these things open up for you to do shit. So, yeah. 
Yep. Oh, trust me. I know. I hate it. Like yesterday, I was invited out to go watch my friend play, and I was like, mm, "Why can't I just stay home? I've got like air conditioning on. It's really nice." Mm-hmm. But uh, I, I did it. I went out and I saw people. <laughs> wow. I can't even be in, begin to conceptualize what that's like. But no, no, no. It's fine. Um, but yeah, a couple things I watched. I'll mention real quick. Uh, so I watched. I watched the. New Flash movie, uh, The Flash, 2023, uh, directed by Andy uh, Mach- Machete Ooh. or Muschetti, whatever the fuck his fucking name is. Sounds um, like spaghetti. Spaghetti. Andy, <laughs> Andy Spaghetti. Andy Spaghetti directed The Flash. Oh, he's a very fast. Um, but this is one of Ezra Miller, uh, you know, Ezra Miller, controversial figure these days in uh, news as they have uh, apparently done some things that are... <laughs> Naughty. Not not good. Like there, there's potentially some very bad mental health problems that have been not uh, addressed with with them, and they've done some very horrible things. But um, Ezra Miller, despite that, excellent actor, and uh, I kind of enjoyed this. I didn't think it was great or anything, but I did enjoy Ezra Miller's performance because they are basically carrying this movie twice over because they are playing two versions of themselves as, as the flash uh, in the movie. And there's all this like their multiverse bullshits where they're going to different worlds and all this stuff. And, uh, brings back DC characters from past, uh, live action DC stuff. Like you get famously, everyone knows the Michael Keaton, Batman, Mm-hmm. is in this movie and he's really fucking good like honestly he's the best thing in the movie he looks like he's actually having fun and like he kind of just seamlessly steps right into back into the bat suit which i kind of it hits the nostalgia uh bug for me where it's like and he's not even like remotely my favorite batman or anything like that but just the fact that he was like just walked right back into that role and just picked it up and like seems like he's having a, a total blast doing it and and I blast love from that the past yeah <laughs> and I love that in the fight scenes they still adhere to the fact that like in and it became a joke in the uh, Christian Bale uh, Batman movies where um, the Michael Keaton Batman he could not turn his head because his yeah. mask was solid rubber rubber <laughs> they keep that in this movie they keep they stick to that even though it's like obviously like a stunt double or whatever doing the fight scenes they still have him in the old bat suit where he can't turn his head so he's got to do these like stiff movements any anytime he wants to look somewhere he's got to move his entire body which I, oh my I, god it's hilarious yeah i found that real fun uh you know, there, there's a lot of missed opportunities in this film. Like they, they could have done so much more. Um, I'm, I, I think it's actually kind of a miracle that the fucking movie managed to be as good as it is, considering there's all kinds of production problems and stalling and stuff with Ezra Miller. And I'm gonna their- say that guy, that guy, <laughs> got that yeah. guy. <laughs> that, yeah, their their personal life is. It's yeah beyond the pale if if any of it is legit, um, but the performances are all good like right across the board. A lot of fun surprises could have been more. I was kind of hoping like they do more because they're all just kind of like fun Easter eggs. So it's like you could have brought in even more stuff and like I mean there there is the um, uh, 
the never the never happened Nicholas Cage Superman. We actually get to see the Nicholas Cage Superman in this. I don't think Nicholas Cage actually shows up in this. He probably gets like paid because they use his likeness or whatever. But like it, it's like a CGI. Like there's a lot of CGI people in this and shit. But um, but it was like two and a half hours almost, and like it flies by. It just flies by, and I think the biggest reason is that it like really leans into comedy. Like mm-hmm. it's it's a it's actually a really funny movie. I, I was really impressed with how funny it was. Um, but that being said, it's also just kind of slight. But um, I, I think it's kind of a cap to the DCU, the current version of the DCU, in a way where it's like, okay, we've done the multiverse thing, now we can reset everything, you know, because now the rules are all thrown out the window kind of thing. So we, we can go back, we can recreate all these characters and redo it if we want to or Try whatever. Again. Yeah. See how that goes. But uh, mm. yeah, no, um, it, I, I, think it's, I think it's worth checking out. It, it's, it's slight, but it's, it's kind of fun. And uh, like I said, the performances are good and there's a lot of fan service in it. So uh, if people are into that, check it out. Uh, the only other thing I'll mention, uh, I watched Prisoners from 2013. This is directed by uh, Denis Villeneuve, who's like done the recent Dune movies, did the uh, um, sequel to uh, Blade Runner. Uh, you know, he's done some pretty high profile sci-fi stuff and uh but this is like one of his earlier films and it's a harrowing kind of like true crime ish kind of story. Uh, it stars Ju- uh, Hugh Jackman, Terrence Howard and Jake Gyllenhaal. And it's basically about um, Hugh Jackman and his best friend, Terrence Howard, like their families are very, very close. Like they, they hang out, they have like Thanksgiving together and all kinds of shit. And uh, their daughters, get abducted on Thanksgiving day. Like they, they go to play and they get abducted and disappear. And there's some suspects here and there. Like there's a, a mentally, uh, reduced, uh, individual in a van that immediately is like the suspicious one is like, Oh, this guy must've done it. And, um, Hugh Jackman takes it upon himself because he can't get, uh, Jake Gyllenhaal, who is uh, the detective on the case and the rest of the police force to, uh, get with this case as quickly as he likes and like you know they've been abducted so like the chances of them being alive gets reduced by every hour basically um so he abducts this uh, guy in the van and takes it to a property he owns and sets him up in like a torture chamber and like basically has decided i'm going to torture this guy until he tells me where uh, my daughter and my friend's daughter is and he brings terrence howard into it reluctantly uh, to help with this shit. And it's basically a race against the clock. Jake Gyllenhaal trying to solve the case, trying to discover who the actual culprit is. Uh, Hugh Jackman losing his humanity as he goes along. Like it's, it's all about how these abduction cases can like destroy families and destroy people. And like these, and you know, and it speaks to like unsolved, like abduction cases and stuff like that, like real true crime stuff where it's like, Mm -hmm. you think about, you think about these people who have had their, just their insides hollowed out for the rest of their lives, uh, because they never get answers. Um, that's, um, there's a case like that in North Bay. mm There was a kid went missing. I can't remember. 2013. Mm-hmm. Um, 
and there's like zero answers. It's just a real weird thing and they're still trying and there's sites up and they're trying well there's people who gave us gave an evidence but they gave wrong evidence like false information which okay. uh threw off the the search and obviously like fucked everything up because yeah like, it's time sensitive so yeah people like legit just gave in information to try and get the reward right. and it was false <laughs> like yeah it's so fucked up. Like, I just feel so bad for the family because, like, they're still going. They're still trying. Mm. But I, I love this film. I think the only failing of it is that it leans a little too much into, like, oh, we're going to turn this into kind of a serial killer movie with some of the usual tropes and stuff like that. But, like, performance-wise, I found this just harrowing. Like, you're with Hugh Jackman, but at the same time, you're, like, just totally abhorred by the stuff he does because he he loses himself trying to get his daughter back basically this is is kind of the thing like the price he pays to try to get his daughter back is he loses his humanity and his performance is like i i've seen some people say it's like it's too big it's like it's it's a little too loud it's like no i I felt every moment of it, and I felt like it was just so legit, like the pain in this guy, because because it's about like he he's this. I don't want to say redneck, but he's like this suburban, right leaning guy who hunts and stuff, and like he's got this self image of himself where he's going to protect his family. He's the protector. He's the provider. He can do anything. Self sufficient. He's he's kind of a prepper. Like he's he's, mm. he's got like a basement with all kinds of prepper stuff and shit. Like like he's he's a little in that sphere, and when it when he comes face to face with the fact that he actually can't do anything, like he can't protect his family, it just destroys him. And it's it's a interesting character study because he he just he goes crazy. He goes crazy because he can't deal with the fact that he failed. Um, and uh, yeah, I, I think it's a great film. I, I really really enjoyed it. So. I recommend. I was surprised that people say like that's too much because when you think about it in a situation like that, people are usually too much. People, it is usually fucking extreme. The performance like, the is reaction. so good. The performance yeah. is so good, and like you, you see this stuff in like live footage of sometimes of like victims of crimes like yelling at the cops and stuff like that. That's what he's doing here. He like Jake Gyllenhaal is this kind of quiet, reserved detective who's really maybe not necessarily great at his job, but he's trying to be. And he's, and you get a sense. This is like the most hope high profile case he's ever had to deal with ever before this. Everything has been like a success. He's, he's famously like a guy on the force who has solved every case he's been involved in. And so he's also got a stakes here because he, he's kind of arrogant mm -hmm. and he kind of pushes his fucking boss around to the, it's kind of funny. Like he, he kind of talks down to his fucking boss all the time. It was like, yeah, if you weren't doing this and getting my fucking way, I could have got this done and I could have done this, but, but he's also got, you know, stakes here where he has to like take a look at himself and, and see his own faults. And like, I, and Hugh Jackman, it's just like Hugh Jackman blows up at him. He's like constantly like, why aren't you doing more? Why the fuck aren't you solving this? Why aren't you going after these suspects? It's like, well, we can't just like take a guy off the street and take him in a room and beat him and get a confession out of him. There, you know, there's there's laws, protections on people's rights and stuff. And Hugh Jackman's like, fuck that. I'm just gonna abduct this guy and put him in my fucking it's 
torture chamber. It sounds it sounds exactly like um, what people threaten all the time. Like uh-huh. this is literally just the threats that you always hear through if this ever happened i would do this this yeah. is literally just taking that idea and make it into a movie yeah that's just basically what it sounds like because yeah like all of that exactly sounds like the reaction that people have like when something happens and the cops are not doing enough for them they're like i could do a better job and uh, this is kind of what i see uh or feel sense yeah, yeah no they, it's very much that put into action in a in a, in a narrative so yeah you're it, put into action i'm put into action you put you put me into action once in a while um but yeah no it, it, it's really good it's not an easy watch but i think it's a kind of a re- sounds interesting. it's a re it's a rewarding one if you like like good human drama and and if you're into like true crimey stuff because it, it does kind of lean into that like it's a kind of a true crime situation it's not based on anything real story or anything that as far as i know but it, it has that kind of air to it and at the same time it also kind of like flirts with hey you know big budget serial killer film kind of thing because like it, it's got a little bit of that to it like it's it's got you know it's got a, a villain with a face to them and, and stuff like that eventually. And so, you know, it, it, it's, it's got kind of a little bit of everything. It, it, it's a little bit Hollywood. It's a little bit more real and grounded and again, great performances. So, um, well, we're checking out. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Fuck. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, okay, so we're going to take a quick break. We're going to come back and we're going to talk about Baron Blood. And uh, I don't know if you knew this about me, Lee, but I'm really the monster hero you've heard about. And every day I go out and I mash people. I tear them apart and I can't stop. I do not. Now you know. Ah! Oh, that didn't work. <laughs> uh... Motion Picture Massacre. Fuck you. We talk about exploitation movies, grindhouse movies, fucking cult movies, horror movies, okay? We don't talk about fucking romantic comedies over here. We're not talking about fucking Sandra Bullock or some shit. We're talking about good movies, the kind that people like to watch. Yes!
right. Baron Blood from 1972, also known as Chamber of Tortures, the Blood Baron, the Thirst of Baron Blood, mm. Baron Vampire. After Elizabeth died, like what? Okay. Is there even a character named Elizabeth in this? I don't know. Yes. Um, is there? Okay. Uh, the Torture Chamber of Baron Blood. And we do have a trailer. dominated this castle, but all the valley below, the people, were necessary only for his convenience. Was the Baron, then both your lives are in danger. You will try again. Baron Blood. He returns to avenge a witch's curse and reclaim his empire of evil. Unleash the monster on the world. You must try to send him back. No! He's up! He's up! The dog! He's coming in! Make it go away! Baron Blood. Starring Joseph Cotton and Elke Summer. Ah! Beware of Baron Blood. And directed by Mario Bava. We have covered him before, of course, on this uh, podcast, as uh, already stated. Uh, Keltiki, the Immortal Monster, Bay of Blood, Black Sabbath, Danger Diabolic, and recently, The Whip and the Body. Uh, is written by uh, Willie Bud Esser. Mario Bava himself has a writing credit on this. Vincent Forte, or Fortree, maybe? Fort. I don't know, English, and he's basically did the English version of the screenplay. And then we have William A. Barron, who basically adapted the screenplay as well for English, wrote other movies like Sex and the College Girl, which sounds interesting, and uh, Blood Sabbath. So, um, but other than that, like, not a lot of, like, pedigree as far as the writing credits on this. It's... uh, we got Joseph Cotton as Baron Otto von Kleist and Alfred Becker. We've covered him before in The Abominable Dr. Fibes, White Comanche, and Citizen Kane. Uh, we have Elke Summer as Eva Arnold, and she is a German-born actress who was big around this time, had a pretty great little career from like the 60s to the 80s especially uh doing a lot of like low budget exploitation stuff and kind of like 
an artist from like Europe who really resonated in the United States as well. You know, it helps that she got naked a lot, was a Playboy playmate, uh, wore a lot of tight sweaters and short skirts, especially like in this film. <laughs> um, but uh, she was in stuff like A Shot in the Dark, Lisa and the Devil, a.k.a. also The House of Exorcism, which is another Mario Bava film that just came after this one. There's like two very distinct versions uh, of that film, uh, depending on the uh, where it shows uh, he, she was a diddlier than male, which is the uh, prequel to um, some girls do that we covered a little while back. Uh, she was in the wrecking crew. Uh, she varied her career too. She was in all kinds of different stuff like comedies and stuff like that. So she was in one of the carry on films, carry on behind and in the heist film that came to Rob Las Vegas. And uh, she's done a lot of stuff. We got uh, Massimo Garotti as Dr. Carl Hummel. 135 credits since the 1930s, oh and God. like, like, and like, literally one of them is only, other than Baron Blood. The only other one I know is Last Tango in Paris, and it's like maybe you should watch more movies than Lee. Maybe I should. I don't. Mm-hmm. Apparently, I don't watch. I don't watch enough movies. Not enough. <laughs> no. Uh, we got uh, Luciano Pigozzi as Fritz. He's the reason for this episode. Um, so we, we've already talked about him. He was in the whip in the body. Um, got Antonio Cantafora as, uh, Peter Kleist. He was in things like God said to Cain, shoot Joe and shoot again, Superman against the Orient. And especially he's the ripoff Terrence Hill. So like there was a ripoff Bud Spencer, Terrence Hill duo that did a few films together. Um, so with Paul L. Smith and they were in stuff like three movies, uh, Carambola, I don't know what that means. <laughs> Convoy Busters and uh, We Are No Angels and then other stuff like Diamond Peddlers, Scream for Help. And he also showed up in Demons 2 way later on. Um, we got Umberto Rajo as Inspector. He was in a bunch of Bava ish stuff, uh, Giallos, things like that, but like Bava adjacent stuff. Like he was in a bunch of Barbara Steele films, uh, The Ghost, Castle of Blood, Long Hair of Death. Uh, he was in some Dario Argento stuff, um, Bird of the Crystal Plumage, Cat O' Nine Tales, and he was in the Vincent Price uh, Last Man on Earth, which is. Um, the first screen version of I Am Legend. Uh, we have Nicoletta Elmi as Gretchen Hummel, and she's the little redhead girl in this. She popped up uh, a lot in some Italian horror around this time. She was in A Bay of Blood. Uh, she was in Deep Red. She later appears as an adult in Demons in the 80s. Uh, we got Dieter Chesler as Mayor Dortmund, Rolf Hallwich as Auctioneer. Gustavo DiNardo as Dr. Werner Hess. Uh, he was in Black Sabbath and The Whip in the Body as well. Uh, Valeria Sebel as Martha Hummel. She was in the uh, Police Oteski, The Violent Professionals, and for some reason showed up in The Godfather Part 3 many years later. And finally, we have Rada Razumov as Christina Hoffman slash Elizabeth Hole. And she was in a bunch of stuff, but she... Before this, mostly popped up in Spaghetti Westerns. She was in The Good and the Bad and the Ugly. She was in Django the Bastard, which we have covered on this podcast. Uh, and she was in Cat O' Nine Tales, another Dario Argento film. Uh, 
We have a synopsis here from Jeff Hole on IMDb. A young man, Peter, returns to Austria in search of his heritage. There he visits the castle of an ancestor, a sadistic baron who is cursed to a violent death by a witch whom the baron had burned at the stake. Peter reads aloud the incantation that causes Baron Blood to return and continue his murderous tortures. Yeah, that's the, that's the plot. There's, there's yeah. not a lot of plot in this. No. So very no. straightforward. But um, yeah, this I, I assume this is the first time watch for you, uh, Lady Lee. Uh, what's your general thoughts? Um, so I am mixed on this. I found that there was like a really cool idea, but I think it was... Um, it was very choppy. I found it was very choppy because I found mm -hmm. there were scenes that started and then all of a sudden you went up in the next scene. So there's not a real good transition between scenes. Um, yeah, and I also think, like, I don't know. Like, I think, like, the storyline itself didn't feel like it had a smooth um, kind of idea to it. It just felt... Uh, we're getting parts of the movie and they're like, okay, well, now this has to happen. Now this has to happen. Mm -hmm. Instead of having it seem like it was like kind of natural or fluid or something, it just felt like, okay, well, now we're going to have, we have to show the resolution. We have to show this. Like it was just all forced. It just never, yeah, yeah. I don't know. It just felt very disconnected. Um, I didn't feel like one movie. It felt like, I don't know. You could even say like it was almost like a TV series. <laughs> it just, it just felt like it had different plots or different sections. Um, mm -hmm. I do have to laugh though. Both of us called on to the screaming. Yeah, <laughs> El El Elka Summer. The amount of screaming she does. My my name in the in the in the chat here is take a shot whenever Eva screams, and she screams a lot. You're gonna get drunk off your ass in this movie if 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 you because she screams at everything. Yep. And I, I really like El Elka Summer. I, I oh, think yeah. she's actually a really good actress. Me too. Uh, and, and when she is not screaming in this, she's really good. Yep, but, I agree. But, man, this movie makes her scream a lot. And she screams at the smallest things. And then she's fine right afterwards. Yeah. <laughs> Torturing vocal cords is Lee's name in this hangout. Yeah. Yeah. Like the amount. Okay. I thought the hilarious, the first scream that you see, she sticks her fingers in her mouth and for whatever reason made me laugh. Mm. <laughs> I could take it as easy. <laughs> I'm just like, why? Why are you putting your fingers in your mouth? <laughs> what is the purpose of this? <laughs> I understand you're trying to cover your mouth, but you're like, ah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Don't do that. You're in a dirty <laughs> castle. <laughs> did yeah. She, did your mom tell you not to stick your fingers in your mouth? <laughs> uh, she's a dirty girl. I think she's a dirty girl. But, um, <laughs> But there was, um, I do like I enjoyed the acting, uh, mm -hmm. and I did think the story was uh, cool. Like I did think it was kind of a cool storyline. So there was there was definitely good parts of it. It's just like I said, it felt very disconnected, like disjointed. I I'm in agreement there. Like it, it does not flow very fluidly. Like it it kind of like there there are cuts to things where it's like it feels like they could have drawn the C note a little bit more, and then like they cut the things that don't make sense afterwards. Like we just mentioned with Elka Summer where she is like in hysterics over a very small thing and then she's fine the very next scene like yeah like this woman the amount of screaming she's doing she should be in a mental hospital by the end of this it's because she had her orgasm i guess <laughs> I, I, I wish this movie showed her having an orgasm that would have been great <laughs> um but but yeah it, it's it's a very straightforward story though like so you know mario bava 
kind of kicked off the Italian gothic horror film. Like it, it was really him that kind of spearheaded the whole thing. And so he's returning back to it in 1972, which is many years removed at this point from when he was first doing that stuff. And like at this point, the Italian giallo film, are, are you, are you familiar with what a giallo film is? No, no. Okay. So the Italian giallos were kind of the predecessor to slasher films. They, they were, they were marketed as like murder mysteries, but like tropes in them are like, we have a mysterious killer with mysterious motives. They usually wear black gloves, like a black costume of some sort, like a big wide brim, black hat. And they, they stock, victims and kill them in very stylish ways, colorful ways with usually with knives. Um, so that was, and, and like Mario Bava also kind of kicked that trend off as well. So he's returning to his Gothic roots, but he's got a little bit of that like giallo influence in it. Like this very much feels like a slasher movie or like a proto slasher movie in a sense, because it's, it's very much just barren blood is back and he's killing people. Like, yeah, there, there's no, there's no uh, ambiguity to this, right? Like it, like it's it's very much like no barren blood. He's real. The, the thing that I thought was kind of a missed opportunity as well. They talked about torture so much in this movie and mm-hmm. barren blood who tortures, but how often we see any sort of torture? He like, does it like once or twice. I'm, I'm not disappointed in that. I really have a hard time watching any sort of torture movies. Mm-hmm. Like I, It's one of those ones that, those are the ones that give me nightmares. Like Those are the ones that I can't stomach. Mm-hmm. So I'm grateful, but as someone who read the title and saw kind of the movie and heard the explanation of like what this guy's supposed to be, you would kind of expect for there to be a lot more torture. Yeah. Like, like Especially get- when they show you, right at the beginning, they show you the, the crazy device Right with the skeleton, like the skull attached to it, I was like, "Are we going to see how this works?" Like, I don't even understand what this is. Mm-hmm. Like, I just thought it was going to be uh, the chance to do that, like show all the torture things, and we got to see. Honestly, the really one that was tortured it was the guy who got squished in the nail thing. And, and, and yeah, and I mean, he died quick. Like, it yeah. wasn't even really torture. Like, it, yeah. Yeah, so that you have this like sort of. It's not really an Iron Maiden. It's it's a spiked coffin. Uh, like Iron Maidens actually aren't real things. Like they they did not exist before like tourism in Europe, because uh, they were kind of an invention of like European tourism. It's like oh, the Iron Maiden medieval torture device. Now there's probably similar devices like like the spiked coffin that you see here, but like the actual Iron Maiden where it's like shaped like a woman and they stick you in it and then close it and shit. Not a thing. Um, but so. Yeah, there, there's very little torture in this. Like, it, it's very much like he he quickly, deftly kills people. It's in the like, least creative ways. Mm-hmm. Like, the, the doctor, I, okay, that was hilarious. That he goes to the doctor and gets, like, help and then kills the doctor. Mm-hmm. That was kind of humorous. That I thought was, like, kind of comical, but, like, obviously still followed the, the theme of, like, horror. So... That was good. But uh, the doctor just got stabbed in the throat. Yeah. So quick stab in the throat. The um, other guy, I can't remember his name. He was the one who was hung. Yeah. The, uh, he was the mayor of the town. He, got, he, okay, yeah. he, he gets hung. And he was, he was the, just trying to get a Coke. He just wanted a Coke. The, um, the groundskeeper that got fired. He was yeah. the one who ended up in the nail coffin. Yeah. Like it wasn't, I don't, 
like the only thing that really was creative um, was the nail coffin. Yeah. Like this is a movie and it's a, a horror movie. It's about a guy who tortures people. Like I was kind of expecting even, you didn't even have to do torture, just really creative deaths. Like that's kind of mm-hmm. what I was expecting. Like something that was from somebody who's like supposed to be psychotic like I want to see creative deaths, right? And and really, it was just the nail coffin, right? Like that that that's both the single best effect in the film and the single best kill because, like, they actually have a mock up dummy of Fritz in the coffin when the when the thing comes down on his face, and it's like it's a really good one, like mm-hmm. it's nineteen seventy two, and like it looks like the dude, like it's so well done. It is perfect because, like, he gets knocked out and then they just placed on this nail coffin. Mm-hmm. So as soon as he wakes up, it gets closed on him. And it's just so perfect. Like, I thought that was really cool. Um, and the way, like you said, the way they use the effects as well. Like, it just, it's, uh, it was visually entertaining. <laughs> yeah. Uh, what what I do like about this film, though, you know, like, I, I feel like Mario Bava was given a bad script and he had to, like, do something with it. Which is honestly frankly something that popped up in his career a lot like he was given stuff that was beneath him and he had to like elevate it with his own directorial skills and visual style and i think he does a decent job here like he's taking like gothic horror that he was famous for which is period piece stuff like pre-1900s even pre-1800s kind of stories he's taking that and he's transporting it to modern day, 1972. So you got the 747 in the opening, which, by the way, is like the first time, apparently, that a film ever had like footage of like inside the 747 jet because it was like a new a new thing at that, at that time. Um, mm, uh, you have the jaunty music in, in the beginning, like the elevator music, which is, you know, modern 1970s kind of uh, music. Uh, and like I said, the Coke machine in the castle, because they're turning Baron von Kleist's castle into a tourist trap location, basically, right? Yeah. So it's like, hey, let's put some modern conveniences in here. So, like, there is this thing of this resurrected guy in this pilgrim-style hat going around killing these new modern people. Like, it, it's like a pushback from the, like, the old to the modern kind of thing like there's some sort of juxtaposition there i just feel like like they don't necessarily lean on it and like make a point or anything like that like i feel like they're trying but they don't really get there it was there was uh, there was lots of potential there was just, mm. this is one of those movies um where we've discussed it before this was one of those movies where i'd be interested to see like them remake it because i mm. think there's again i think there's a lot of potential and i think the, i thought the actors were great i thought the yeah. scenery was great i just think that there was just some missing key components to make it like a really uh enjoyable movie like a really um primo amazing like excluded the TV movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because, uh, yeah, there was just some stuff, like I said, it just threw me off. Like, the, the the scene cuts were just really bad. Like, it was, like you said, we had our lead just screaming her head off to the point where you thought she was going to die of a heart attack. Mm-hmm. And then the next scene, it's like, oh, hey. Hey, hey. Yeah. <laughs> no, nothing it, happened. Yeah, she, get, she, gets, she gets the dude to drive her home. And she's in hysterics. And then he's like, do you want me to, like, stay with you or stay at my house or whatever for the night if it makes you feel safer? She's like, no, I'll be fine. And then she gets home. And what happens? 
immediately barren blood is stalking her in her home and she escapes out to the streets and you have that extended sequence of her running through the foggy streets trying to avoid barren blood oh my how, God. She, how she doesn't get killed i don't know the the taxi where she asks for the taxi and then she's just so disappointed there's no taxi mm-hmm. i don't know why that moment just made me giggle because <laughs> just her facial expression and the angle of the camera mm-hmm. it was just like her like taxi <sighs> and I just, I just got it. I was like, oh my God, what's happening here? Like you're being chased and this is your reaction to not finding a cab. Yeah. Like, uh, again, like the scene, this scene was a little weird to me because I was confused as to where she was because I know it was close to the street, but it was mm-hmm. really hard to tell it was a street. Like it yeah. was really hard. I, like, I didn't know because when she yelled for the taxi, I don't know if because there is a taxi or if it was just a car she thought was a taxi but like then you see absolutely no cars like i i don't know like it was just i i don't feel like there would be a taxi service in this town it feels like such a small european town it's like you don't need a taxi it's like yeah i was yeah that's why i was like kind of confused why she just yelled out taxi it might be because just used to it like a a fun thing of saying she's from the big city so she's used Mm -hmm. to that but again, like you would only really yell it if you see cars, and I didn't see any cars. No. So it's just, uh, just funny. It's just. I mean, part. like my biggest problem with the film, like I like this film quite a bit, but like my biggest problem with it is kind of just the internal logic of the whole thing is kind of dumb. It's like Peter and Ava, like the fact that they believe in the supernatural in nineteen in the nineteen seventies is a little hard to get wrap your head around. Like if this was set as a as a classic gothic horror film, like pre nineteen hundreds, pre eighteen hundreds, you would believe that they'd be into like oh, you know, spiritualism, curses, resurrecting the dead. Like that's very real things to them that they're brought up to believe are possible. But they're doing that same thing in the modern context, which is a little off. Like it's like, ah, I don't think these two these two are too modern and urbane to like really believe in this shit. But then they go ahead to do it. And the biggest problem in this film is they do it twice. They resurrect them twice. They resurrect them once and send them back. And then it's like, I want to do it again. It's like, why do you want to do it again? You've already, like, you had a really bad experience the first time where Ava was screaming her head off by the end of it. Well, maybe why he's do you- like desensitized by her screaming because she does it all the time. I guess, or maybe, or maybe he just wants to scare her into his bed. Maybe that's it too. I was okay. I was thinking of this. How fucking like asshole-ish the girl beside you is freaking the fuck out, crying, screaming, and she's mm-hmm. like, "Please stop! Please stop! Please stop!" And he's like, "No, I want to see this." And then yeah, no, he's he an asshole. He respond. like he doesn't even say anything. Just respond. He doesn't do anything. He's like just standing there. Like, yeah, oh no. God, stop, 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 stop. And, and like, nothing. No, like, not a reaction. This guy's got a death. He's a dick. He's got a death wish. He's like, a dick. Like, if, if, I re, if I did remake this film, he would die by the end of it. Because I thought, because of the beginning, I thought he was actually going to be um, a part of the plot of being that, a bad person. That makes more sense, right? Like, yeah. Because, because they, they do a bait and switch in this. Like it's as much as they, you know, say the Baron's here, he's real. By the end of it, they make Joseph Cotton like the the doppelganger of the of the Baron, basically, where it's like, here's me in my disguised form. Yeah, it, like he should have been a red herring. It, it really should have been Peter. Like gets like taken over by his his uh, ancestor, right? Like that makes more sense. 
Yeah. And especially since at one point he said, the only reason I'm here is to kill my last son. Mm -hmm. But he goes after all these other people. Yeah. Yeah. The Varen, like the also, yeah. Here's another logical point in this <laughs> that I don't like. So the witch curses him back in the day, like the 1600s, whatever the fuck it is, that she does mm -hmm. the thing. And her curse is that he will be resurrected in, in his damaged form, in pain. But and like I guess the prophecy is that like his victims will come back to in him or whatever, but that that makes it necessary that he has to kill people. Like that's a very short-sighted curse. Like that's kind of a dick move too. It's like so he's gonna go around killing innocent people before the curse ends. I was thinking the same thing. Yeah, and especially okay. So when we get to the psychic, um, and she is Elizabeth. She, like, she relays Elizabeth's, mess Elizabeth, Elizabeth's message. Mm -hmm. I didn't even understand what she was trying to say. <laughs> like, we didn't even need that part, technically. <laughs> no, we didn't, because, and then, like, does she get killed? Like, we, I guess you gotta assume she gets, like, you gotta assume she gets killed because the Baron shows up at her house, but it's like, we never find out. We never see her at the end, either, when they're all coming back to kill him. Mm -hmm. Because there's yeah. all these people, and they're all male. Yeah, so... Oh, here, here's okay. So here's here's my big question to you: uh -huh. Is the little girl, the little redhead girl, is she a reincarnation of the witch? Because it seems like they hint at it at times, like that she is supposed to be like because she knows the Baron is there. Like before the Baron is resurrected, she's seen the Baron's ghost at the castle. Like she, she's very much aware that the that the Baron's ghost actually haunts the castle. He's just not manifested in physical form because of no one's done the ritual or whatever. And like she tips people off to like, you've got to use the amulet that the witch gave you to like defeat the Baron and stuff like that. Yeah, you're asking the psychic to tell you something. She doesn't say anything, but the kids like, hey, by the way, amulet. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it, it feels like she's like in a reincarnation of the witch because she has red hair. The witch had red hair. But they never, they never like go anywhere in that. Usually they they hint to that real really hard, and they don't. My only thing about it, like I, it would make sense. My only thing about it though is that the witch is very vengeful. Mm -hmm. and you would think that the child would have that same kind of vengeance. Uh, like Maybe, something yeah. about it, just a hint, like the same personality, right? Like something mm -hmm. along that line. This could be like obviously you could argue because she's a child that's more innocent. Yeah, but if she's reincarnation and knows all this stuff, then she probably also still has like that same personality. So, yeah. um, I think it's what they wanted to do. They just didn't execute it well. Yeah, they just didn't get there. I feel because like it's it's a very it's right there. You can grab it, and it makes the story better. It like it literally makes the story better if she ends up being a reincarnation of the witch. She doesn't necessarily have to become the witch as she grows up or anything like that. It doesn't have to be that horrific. It just has to be that the witch is influenced influencing her from beyond the grave to some extent, kind of thing. It could be like just communicating with her too, like something. Yeah. Because you see the kid at the beginning where she's intently staring at the couple when they're talking about resurrecting the Baron, and it kind of gives you the hint that the child's involved somehow, mm -hmm. which then would make sense. And it's like, you can erase the psychic character altogether. 
oh god yes i'm not saying i didn't i loved her acting i thought it was mm-hmm. awesome like it was a really cool scene to watch but mm-hmm. that scene felt very pointless and again very choppy it was yeah. we've got her appeared she was elizabeth gave the message and then we see the baron and then the scene cuts mm-hmm. like that whole part is like was it just chopped in because they're like oh this movie's too short let's just make a scene like i it just uh it just felt so um misplaced like it just didn't mean yeah. anything it didn't help anything it was like oh yeah you're stupid for bringing him back but thank you for bringing him back because i get to torture him again but i won't yeah. tell you how <laughs> it's yeah like she's like first i can't help you i won't help you it's like we need your help okay so, well, okay. Yeah. Oh, no, no, just Elizabeth. Like, why did you do this? Thank you for doing this. Yeah, it's just there. There's def, there's definitely some shortcomings in the actual script that you know Bava just kind of like blows over with his visual style and stuff like that. And you know, I'm I'm, I'm fine with that. Ultimately, like I I still enjoyed it for the most part. But you know, the, there are like it, it's a movie with a lot of missed opportunities. It like it like you're saying. Remake. Someone remake this. Yeah, because you know? I think there's a lot of potential in it. I think there's mm-hmm. a really cool idea. I think there was um, a storyline that could very well be developed um, and create it enough with the influence of, but have something that's like uniquely theirs. Like there's mm-hmm. enough there to help. Like you don't have to go directly exactly how they went. You can literally stir it up a bit, like change it up a bit and still have like the same story idea. Right. And I mean, if you still want to do like the clash of like modern day to Gothic horror, set it in 2023. That's fine. Yeah. You know, you could have, you could have all the modern conveniences, have the Coke machine in the fucking castle, have people with cell phones and stuff. Once the Baron shows up, that shit goes out the window, you know, cell phones don't work anymore, whatever, you know, and you could probably, you could probably make even a bigger like point of like the, the juxtaposition between the modern day conveniences and, and uh, progressive ideas and lack of belief in the supernatural and stuff like that. And, you know, bump that up against just this pure Gothic horror, this family curse that has like prevailed through the ages. And you, and you could, you know, erase all the mistakes in the script and like grasp on the actual, opportunities it lays out for you to, to, to take. Um, I, yeah, this is one of those ones where I really do want to remake as yeah. much as I, as much as I like it. Cause I like, I think it's a good Bava film. It's kind of like mid tier for him. Um, but I think it, you know, he was like trying for something and he just didn't have the script. Like, like he's got a lot of resources. Like, you know, this is all shot on location. This isn't like sets and stuff like that necessarily. It's like it's all like an actual castle and mm-hmm. shit. Like I, I feel like you know the torture dungeons kind of like dressing or whatever. But um, but this is all shot in like Austria, uh, Venice, and places like that. And so it's all authentic locations. And Mario Bava knows how to use those locations to the best effect. Like some of the shots he does, like when the mayor gets hanged. And there's that shot de- going down from like the up on the staircase down at him hanging and looking up uh, like that. I-, I thought that was like great. I was like, that's a fucking great shot. Yeah. Um, and the-, the the backlit shots of Elkie Summer running through the streets in the yeah. in the fog are all really effectively done. Like he gets to play with that stuff and have fun with it. Mm-hmm. And then the rest of the film is just kind of like a lot lesser. 
compared to that stuff. Like it was, if it wasn't for his the way he did the movie, the way he um, made his vision come out, mm-hmm. uh, I don't think it would have been a very good movie because of the issues that it did have. Like he took what he had and made it really like he made it good. He made it entertaining to watch, but unfortunately, had that not been there, like those visuals not been there, uh, I think it would have drastically been. Um, worse <laughs> yeah i agree Bad like, movie. like if, if it wasn't mario bava doing this film no one would be talking about it these today like they would just be a kind of a forgotten overlooked kind of thing i think yeah because there is really good stuff in it there is really like you said there's cool visuals there's cool shots there's just this creative way of doing things um it's just it's just nice mark in uh different places like it just um it just had so much that uh, either wasn't done enough or there was just too much added that needed need to be added. Like it just, it needed to be refined. And I mean, yeah, they could have took more time on this because like he shot it under budget and ahead of schedule too. Like he, 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 he knocked this out super quick. Well, I feel how old like, was he when he did this one? Hey, how old was he when he did this one? Mary Obava. Jesus. Uh, he was, fairly old at this point like 72 he he was mi- past middle age at this point i think and that it might be just uh didn't have the energy like that he used to have too so well also like mario bava is a very economical like director like it, it was kind of his thing to like get in there get it done as, as much as he his, he was a visual stylist and an artist, I don't know, necessarily know if he actually thought of himself as such a thing. Like like he he came from like the Italian film industry in a way where he was very much like a workman journeyman kind of director in in the sense where like technically he was super sound, but he was also about like getting shit done, getting shots out, uh, adhering to schedules and stuff like that. And, and, you know, to be ahead of schedule was like kind of a positive boom in, in, in those days, you know, it's like, it made, made you a better director in a sense, because, Oh, you know, this guy gets his film done. You know, we, we, we set it for like two weeks. He gets it done in a week and a half. And he saves us like two million lira or whatever in our budget because he doesn't have to film extra, you know, kind of thing. So, like, like he comes from that mindset of like get it, get it done the best you can possibly in the shortest amount of time. Yeah, I think it would have benefited not to do that this time, mm-hmm. just because, like we said, there's just key comp- there's just some key components that were missed, and like, just I don't know. It's just frustrating because I think yeah. there was really cool ideas. I think like because there was points where you really really get into it and then just cuts and everything's normal and calm. Right, right. Like it just it was just such a a roller coaster ride because you're like, oh yeah, here it is, it's gonna get really exciting. But then they're like, nah, we're just gonna like slowly incline instead of having like the fast decline. Yeah, it was it was how you were saying earlier how it's kind of episodic almost like it's a TV series or something. It's like, mm-hmm. oh, we we get to the end of the end of the first episode where. Uh, Elka Summer screaming her head off, and then oh, episode two, she's fine. You know, yeah. Let's start off the next one. Okay, that was really scary. What happened back there? But yeah, uh, yeah. It's just, um, yeah. I always still thought. Okay, so another thing I thought was really funny because you get the ending, and she's mm. like, "Let me torture him. Let me get my revenge." Mm. And uh, uh, then the the credits cut in, 
and the music yeah. for it was literally the worst transition music. <laughs> <laughs> like it was just this weird happy music, and I'm like, this doesn't suit the movie at all. Yeah, <laughs> it's just like going through a playlist and being like, yeah, let's take that one <laughs> or whatever. They yeah, have. the uh, the Stelvio Cipriani score. You know, it starts off jaunty and then it ends jaunty, and it's like. Mm. starting off jaunty it makes sense because it's like here we're set in modern times and stuff like that but as you progress to the film it starts to get more gothic and horror tinged like it should really end on a horror note right because Elkie Summer is screaming her fucking head off by the end of the fucking film where they have to carry her out Mm -hmm. yeah so it's like maybe you know make the the end titles a bit of a downer, like you know, because like th- she should be psychologically scarred by this point, like for the rest of her life, kind of thing. But yeah, nah. Um, I did think it was funny that they were after her more often than they were after the sun, even though mm-hmm. it was technically supposed to be after the sun. Yeah, yeah, that also didn't make any sense. It was <laughs> it was it was it was more like let's have this incredibly beautiful blonde woman in tight clothes scream her head off with the gorgeous eyes (laughs) yes Italian eyes as Lady points out many times yes Uh, they don't get hired on their acting they get hired on their eyes well in Elkie Summers case German eyes Uh, yeah but uh, still the gorgeous eyes beautiful German eyes yes Uh, box offices for this 269.812 million lira which was a box office success. So they made like $15 over their $5 budget or whatever in US dollars. Um, but yeah, no, apparently this did well. Uh, his previous film, uh, Bay of Blood, was also a big success for him. So this is like Mario Bava, like starting to do well again because the films before that, like a couple of films, did not do all too well. So he's, you know, he's kind of capitalizing on like the sort of slasher thing that's coming in so this actually did really really well for him um release info here you can find this on various blu-ray and dvd and and youtube you can find it on youtube so there's there's a like a couple different versions of youtube including one on my channel although you can't see it because it's uh private but yeah a little bit of trivia here and then we'll we'll finish this off so uh mario bava the director his son liberto bava who went on to become a pretty notable Italian horror director himself uh, and producer Alfredo Leone have uncredited bit parts in this um, as well as Franco Tocci playing Baron Otto von Kleist as a corpse. And he was mostly a camera and electrical department guy. So like the corpse of the Baron is played by, you know, a guy who's usually behind the scenes doing camera work and stuff like that. Um, So here's the other like really interesting piece of trivia here that's like a sort of like bled into real life and become an urban uh, legend kind of thing. So sometime, and the, actually this is like, it happened even before this, but uh, this picks up like sometime around 1997, there emerged a massive internet hoax, which claimed that a Siberian borehole had penetrated the earth's crust into hell itself with proof, quote-unquote, being an audio recording of the screaming souls of the damned. This urban legend, very uh, variously known as um, Siberian Sounds of Hell or the Well to Hell hoax, featured in many tabloids and was even cited by some Christian groups as hard proof of the real hell. 
The sound effects supposedly recorded within the borehole were actually a combination of story elements from a radio broadcast, Quiet Please, The Thing on the Fourth on the Forable Board, and audio lifted from this film. And I just do have like a brief thing here. So here's the sounds of the well to hell that Christians were propping up as like, here's proof that hell's real, y'all. Yeah, be convinced. I'm a believer now. I was real. Um, but yeah, no, like this was this is a hoax that's been perpetrated over and over again, changed slightly here and there. Like it's become an urban legend kind of thing. And you know, there's still stupid people today who fucking buy into it. Like you go on YouTube and you look at like uh, examples of this, you know, put in YouTube video. Plenty of comments below of people saying, yeah, this is proof. Hell's real, y'all. It's like, oh, imagine the souls dying there in hell and how those miners felt when they when they heard it and shit. Like, shut the fuck up. But, but like, there's actually, you know, they took screams from this film. And, I mean, what better film to get screams from than this one with Elk Summer screaming her fucking head off? So, and then there is also, like, the... Uh, screams that uh, the Baron plays there. It's like, here's how the attraction is going to be. Imagine people coming out of this torture chamber and hearing this, and he presses a button and some screams. You know. That would be pretty cool, though. Yeah. Like, so They were they were off put out, but I was like, no, that, that's pretty clever. I like that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, also, just should mention, uh, for an American release, American International Pictures edited out seven minutes of dialogue and graphic imagery and replaced the original European score for more atmospheric music score by com- composer Les Baxter. And honestly, like they, they did this several times on a lot of these European movies. They sort of bought up. And I've seen this version of the film and I've heard the score from Lex, Les Baxter. And Les Baxter's great, but it does not fit the film as well as the score for this one, even though, you know, the ending credits, not so good. But um, this is the preferred version that we watched, the, uh, you know, original European version, basically. So, yeah. And, uh, yeah, Lady Lee, you got anything uh, to plug before we get Yeah, I picked a movie. Yeah, you did. So you, you have to. <laughs> yeah, you got to fix something. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so I picked uh, Gretchen Hummel. The, Gretchen uh, Hummel? Yeah. Okay. Uh, so the actress played her, sorry, Nicoletta Elmi. Okay. So she's the redhead. Yeah. The child. Okay. And I picked Demons. Oh, oh, nice. <laughs> oh, I th- yeah. actually, I think we've done Demons. Oh, damn it. This whole is just, just let me check really quick. I, I do believe we have done demons. Well, I picked uh, another one just in case. Okay. I had a feeling I might do that. Uh, yeah, we've done demons and demons too. I, yeah, we did. Well, go fuck yourself. <laughs> um, all right. I also picked, I can't remember the actress now. Um, Rada Razimov, mm-hmm. the, the psychic, uh, The Seed oh. of Man, 1969. Okay. Yeah. All right. So I had a backup one. That's good. That's good. We we will uh, we'll do that. We'll just try to find that and do that. Yeah. Yes. Uh, people can find you on Instagram. 
Perhaps. Uh, no star. <laughs> yeah. Yes, you can find me there. <laughs> all right. And uh, you can find us at tmbdos.podbean.com, where you can find all of our uh, previous episodes. You can find us at They Must Be Destroyed on Site on Facebook. Best way to get in touch with us. Tell us how we're doing. Give us film suggestions. All that good stuff. Just, you know, leave comments and stuff for us to read on the show, because we do do that. Not enough, you know. You, you really gotta like fucking force people, shame people into giving you comments on your podcast. But yeah, that's we're not thing. popular now. <laughs> I mean, it's it's a problem with every podcast, really, unless you're like Joe Rogan or some bullshit, you know. But uh, <laughs> yeah, and he, I don't think he reads comments on his fucking podcast. So fuck why him. Why would he? Yeah, why would he? He's, he's too big, too busy uh, delving into pseudoscience and mysticism and bullshit. And you know, I, you, I do you, have to say, I'm going to give people credit where credit's due. Uh, someone came onto the show, and we're talking about trans, and uh, the person that was giving the information, I can't remember the person's name, like mm-hmm. we were interviewing, but uh, the fact checker caught them and called them out on their mistake because they said that there was like millions of surgeries going on for gender reaffirming surgery. Mm-hmm. And the fact checker checked it, and they said, like, oh, there's like a thousand. Like, they caught him in the lie, said it, and uh, clarified the guy. Um. So yeah, I can appreciate that. So that's all I'm gonna say. Everything yeah, else no. is poopy, but that I can absolutely respect. Yeah, even Joe Rogan's show has an exception to the rule once in a while. Yeah. Yeah. Um. But yeah, uh, we'll be back when we're back, and uh, until then, thank you, Lady Lee. It's a pleasure yeah. as always. Thank you. Yep. Always a pleasure with you. Mm-hmm. And. It's always a pleasure with our listeners as well. Hubba hubba. You, <laughs> you sexy listeners, thank you so much. Um, we, we will, I was we, really trying for the comments. <laughs> we, are, we, we love, uh, you know, just probing your, your ear vages every time you listen to us and giving you that uh, oral uh, ecstasy. Ear badges. Your veg. That is the word she chose here, veg. Okay. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But yeah, uh, we're going to get out of here. So uh, cheers, and we'll be back when we're back. Goodbye. Bye.
listening to TMB DOS. They must be destroyed on site. For further episodes of this podcast, please go to tmbdos.podbean.com. We're also on Apple Podcasts and pretty much any podcatcher that you can find. Thank you. Drive through.